Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. So glad to see you today. And uh, if you are visiting us for the first time, second time, we are so glad you chose today because today we'll begin a new series called The ABCs and Ds of the Family. I read a story a long time ago about a father and his son. They were uh, natives of Spain, and as they were, the son was growing up, they began to disagree in a few things. You know, when, when children become teenagers, weird things happen. And communication was a thing that was not happening in that family. Finally, the son decided this home is not a place for me, and he left. In the heart of the father, it was a constant desire to find his son. He looked for him all over the country until finally he had an idea in the city of Madrid. And he said, I'm going to the newspaper, and I'm going to place an ad. And the ad read like this. Paco, I'd like to tell you that everything is forgiven. That there will always be room for you in my arms and in our house. We want to see you again. And if you want to come back, I want to meet you at the park in front of the newspaper office tomorrow at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Love your dad. The next day in the afternoon at 4 o'clock on the park in front of the newspaper office were 800 Pacos. That is why today we are beginning this series. And we want to start this series with a story of a family that we are all very familiar with. And if you open your notes or if you go to your Bibles, let's go to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 18. Because this is going to be our text for this series. This is what we're going to base our thoughts through the whole series. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, it says like this, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And if the verse would end right there, we'll be saying a loud, Amen. Unfortunately, continues saying, But he will not, he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on their children to the third and the fourth generation. And that is our worry. That is our concern. And that is the reason why we have to talk about this in church. Because we as parents, we have the desire to provide the best for our children. We grow up trying to give our children the best options. We search for the best education. We search for the best medical care. We search for everything that they could need to be provided to them. We want the best. But oftentimes what we forget is that the most important thing is a model relationship with God. Because at the end of the day, our problems, our sins will be reflected on them. Now. Have you ever taken a portrait with your family? Have you ever gone to take a family picture portrait? 
Don't lie, you have. In fact, you wore the matching outfits and the white shirts and the white pants at the beach. You, you've done it. And, and you know, it's funny. When, when families go and take their portraits, it, oftentimes some, some of the family members don't want to be there. I'm one of them. I, I'm guilty. I confess. I don't like portraits. But when we have done them, At the time that the photographer is in front of us and the backdrop is selected and, and everybody's aligned, there's something about the smile. You hear the, chick -chick, and then you go, okay, I don't want to be here. Are we done? One more smile. Once we choose that picture, once we choose, because they give you several, and, and, you, and you choose. Well, this one, oh, he has his eyes closed. Oh, this one is not, no. This one is perfect. That's the one we chose. I don't know if it is that somehow we like to, to, to imagine, to, to wish, to, to portray an image of the family that we want to be. Or have we wished our family would be, but oftentimes the, the real portrait of our family, instead of looking like this, looks more like this. <laughs> however, however, we have to be, we have to be honest with the Adams family because even though they didn't get along with their neighbors very well, uh, amongst each other, they had good relationships, even with Cousinette. So, how can we go from having a picture of a family that we long to be to match the reality of that family we want to be? How can we move from A to B? Let's visit the family of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37. Verse 1 and 2. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. Let's stop right there. Did you read it with me? Let's read it again and let's see if you see what's wrong with that text. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. There are, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph. Do you see what's wrong with that text? Exactly. Joseph was not the firstborn child. Why is Joseph mentioned first? Well, let's start with Jacob. If you remember Jacob, had a father. And his father was Isaac. But the father of Isaac was Abraham. Abraham was the chosen man who God called to go to the promised land first. If you remember, when God called Abraham, he told him, Abraham, I want you to go to a place that I want this family as big as the stars and the grains of sand on the beach to inhabit. Abraham asked where? He said, well, I'll show you on the way. I can just imagine that conversation with Sarah. 
Sarah, we're moving. Where? Where are we moving? Bigger house? Better town? Better school district? Uh, uh, no, God will show us on the way. I don't know who had more faith, Abraham or Sarah, in that particular move. But I want you to try it with your wives. We're moving. Where? I don't know. We'll find out. Let's see how that goes. So Abraham is on the way, and then he comes to a place where he, when he, where he fears for his life, and he tells his wife, Sarah, which the Bible tells that she was very beautiful, to lie. Tell him that you are my sister. Well, in reality, that was a half lie, a half truth, because Sarah was his half sister. So he lies about that, she lies about that, and they did not only do it that particular moment, they did it another time. So they did it twice. Finally, Abraham and Sarah have a child. His name is Isaac. Okay, this half is more awake than this half. Isaac. So Isaac, Isaac grows up, but from birth, he is competing against his brother. They come to a place, him and his wife, remember the names of his, Isaac's wife? Rebecca, Rebecca. Okay, now the back is more awake than the front. I don't know. Now, so Rebecca and Isaac come to a place and they have a brilliant idea. I don't know where they gather from, but Isaac tells Rebecca, Rebecca, in, in, in case they want to kill me, just tell them you're my sister. Now, that was not a full lie. It was a quarter of a lie because Rebecca was his cousin. Isaac and Rebecca have two children. Esau, the red one, and Jacob, the liar. Now, that it's a bad thing because, see, back in those days, people named their children according to their character. See, today, uh, when a baby is born, the, 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 the nurse comes or somebody from the hospital comes with some papers, and they ask you, what is the name you're going to give them? And the process begins. The legal process begins of identifying, identifying the child, and a name is chosen, a name is given, and that is the name. But, see, back in those days, in biblical times, the process of naming a child was a little different. They actually, the parents observed the, the child's behavior. And according to how the baby reacted and acted, that's how they chose their names. Now, in some rare instances, we see that God sends an angel to tell the parents, this is how you're going to name the child. Otherwise, it would be the normal process of observing the behavior of the child. But Jacob, his name is a liar, the imposter. The deceiver. Can you imagine in Sabbath school when they were taking roll? Jacob, liar. Here. Are you sure? Because you might be lying. So, so Jacob grows up. Jacob grows up. And he honored his name so well. He lied to his brother. He lied to his father. And he lied to his father-in-law. I don't know if you see the picture of this family here. Jacob later became Israel. But as he was becoming Israel, Jacob had 13 children. How many? 
13. 12 boys and one girl. Out of the 13, 10 were liars. Now think about this for a second. That is the family of Joseph. He was one of the 13. His brothers are liars. His father was a liar. His grandfather was a liar. And his great-grandfather was a liar. Remember the text that we read in Numbers? God will not forgive the sins of the father to the third and the fourth generation. And that is the moment when I began to worry. I had two options. Are my sins something that I can blame my dad for? Or my grandfather? Or my great-grandfather? Or are my sins something that I should worry about with my children? Now, whichever the case, how can I stop it? Well, let's see what happens in this story. Let's continue reading. Verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Silpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Now, Joseph, see, he had a problem. He was a good boy. He was a good one. Not a liar, but he had a situational dilemma. Every time he saw his brothers doing something bad, he was a fire alarm. He went to tell his dad, Dad, you know what uh, Reuben is doing? Can you imagine at the dinner table? So how was the day? Dad, Joseph raising his hand. He's the little one. Dad, um, it's a car. Man. You won't believe what he did. And you know when your brother is going to say something that you don't want him to say, you kick him under the table? It was a long table. You, you got to have long legs to reach Joseph way down there. But that was Joseph. Now, we have to learn one thing about Joseph's family. He had imperfect parents. That's the truth. He had imperfect parents. His mother was always competing with his sister, with her sister. You remember the story. Isaac, I mean, uh, Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. Seven years. And at the day of the wedding, his father-in-law does a switcheroo thing. And instead of being Rachel, he wakes up and is the one, I'm quoting the Bible, the one with the droopy eyes. That's a cool term to say is the ugly one. No, just the droopy-eyed one. Now, so, so now in the morning, Jacob looks. And there it is, not Rachel, but it's the droopy-eyed one. 
he comes to his father-in-law and tells him, hey, I didn't work for her. I worked for Rachel. And he says, well, the custom of the day is that here in our land, we give in marriage the older one before the younger one. And Leah is the older one. And Jacob works another seven years for her. her for Rachel again. So 14 years for Rachel. I guess Leah came free. I don't know. But now imagine this. The value of a woman was not based on how many years they worked for them. It was based on how many children they had. So now there is competition. Who is going to have the greatest, numbers of, the greatest number of kids? So Leah has one. And Rachel can't. Finally, when Rachel has a child, Leah can't. So she decides, okay, I'm going to give you my servant. This is an old news in the family because that's what Sarah did with Abraham. So there he goes. And then Rachel says, okay, there goes my servant. And it was constant competition. Constant competition. Joseph grows with a mother who can't stand her sister, yet they live in the same house. And they're always competing against each other. His father, as we stated clearly, he was a professional liar. But the biggest problem that his father had was not his lying ways, was that he didn't love his children all the same way. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Can you see that? It can't be any clearer. He loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. And it's worth it to stop right here because we've seen the musical, we've seen the kid's story, we've seen the movie that Disney made. But no, it wasn't many colors. Let me explain. The word in Hebrew is the word pashim. Can you say pashim? Pashim. Every time you see an I and an M, at the end of a Hebrew word, it's a plural. Plural. So it means that there were more than one. So what is a pash? We know what an M is. What is a pash? Pash was an adornment that in those days was placed on the wrists or on the ankles. This robe had pashim. That meant that had adornments, special adornments, all the way to the wrist and all the way to the ankles. Let me paint a picture to you. Back in those days, Everybody, everybody used robes. That was the way people dressed in those days. If you work in the field, if you work uh, heavy labor, your robe was shorter and the sleeves were short. A long robe would be very uncomfortable as you were leaning down and trying to carry stuff and, and, and working on the, on the ground, on the field. Long robes would be very cumbersome. Now, 
the long sleeve and the long robes were used by people in position. People who didn't have to do the menial common work. So this is what happened. Joe's robe was given to him so that he would occupy the high place in the family. And the others were getting their robes with the short sleeves and high water. How would that translate to today? Joseph's clothes was bought in Nordstrom's. While his brother's clothes were bought in Target. Now you see the brothers getting mad at Joseph. They didn't like the idea. But there was something else that was implied by that event of Joseph getting the long robe. That meant that Joseph was chosen as the firstborn over whoever was the firstborn. You see the problem here? Now, we know that Joseph's parents were not perfect. Well, neither were his brothers. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream... And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. This is an amazing thing because we know Joseph as a dreamer, right? And his multicolored robe. But this is what happened. God speaks to people in a way that they can understand. According to the time where they are and the place where they are. In those days, people received word from God in dreams instead of the Bible. You know why? Because the Bible hadn't been written yet. So people received the Word of God in dreams. We see it in the time of Daniel. We see it in the time of Jacob. And we see it in his time, Joseph's time. So God spoke to Joseph and gave him dreams. And the dreams were something like this. Joseph says, I, am, I was in the field. He's telling his brothers. And as I am in the field, we're gathering stacks of wheat. And my stack was bountiful, was big, was, was great, tall. A and yours, well, they were kind of slim. In fact, they were bowing in front of mine. Their brothers got the message. They said, no way. We don't like that dream. We don't want to bow before you. And now imagine Joseph as he's telling the dream, his long sleeve robe, the sleeves are waving in the air, and they're looking at the sleeves, and he's telling them, you're bowing before me. So they don't like the idea. Now, this has also a financial consequence. Let me explain. Whoever was the firstborn received a double amount of inheritance. If there was a family with two children, the father would divide the inheritance in three parts. So two of those parts would be for the firstborn. If the family had five children, the parents would divide the inheritance in six parts. So two of those would go to the firstborn. In the case of Jacob and, and Joseph's family, the father would divide the inheritance in 13. No, because the women didn't count. 
So in 13 parts, and two of those parts would be to the firstborn. So you see that the idea of Joseph being elected as the one in charge was not setting well at all in any parts of the life of the brothers. But this is not a new thing in the family. Jacob had taken the inheritance from his brother Esau. So in the family, the firstborn rights had been lost already once. Verse 8. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. I can't imagine how would that be. Being in a house where you're the chosen one, the spoiled one, and all your brothers hating you. But you know what? Joseph was also imperfect. His brothers don't want to talk to him, obvious reasons. They unfriended him already. But he can't help it. He has to tell someone. And the problem is that he can't post it on Facebook for everyone to read because there's no Facebook. So what can he do? Every dream that he has, he has to tell someone. And the people that he had around were his brothers. So they are at the dinner table. They're having dinner at the end of the day. And Jacob, the old man, the father is sitting there and he asked the question. How was your day? Is there something that you guys want to share with the rest of the family? And Joseph right away raises his hand. And his brothers begin to roll their eyes. Really again? So Jacob turns to his favorite son and tells him, okay, son, what is it? Dad, I had a dream last night. It was a beautiful dream, Dad. The moon, the sun, the stars, everyone is out. Now, we know that that is an impossibility, right? But everyone is out. And guess what? There I am. The moon and the sun bow before me and also the stars. Now the brothers are looking at him. And they're saying, Joseph, you're nuts. It's okay if you say that we're going to bow before you, but now mom and dad too? Are you kidding? Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have a dream and another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Now just you guys, but mom and dad too. Now the dinner table is going crazy. Everybody wants to punch him. Verse 10, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? I think that that was a way for Jacob to say, okay, I'm protecting you, but don't say it again. That doesn't sound like a reprimand to me. 
It sounds more like protecting him from his brothers. And inside Jacob is thinking, that's exactly what I want, but don't tell him. It's just going to happen. So, his parents are not perfect. His brothers are not perfect. Joseph is not perfect. He couldn't find the right time. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. He had to say something. What hopes do we have for Joseph's family? For a second, let's think about our family. If you're a parent, are you perfect? You don't have to tell me. Just think it. I already know. <laughs> are your siblings perfect? Are you perfect? So what can we do? What can we do? See, it, it, this is the thing. Uh, when my kids are fighting, because they do fight oftentimes, you know, against each other. I always tell them this, guys, guys, I never, I never fought with my brothers. Well, maybe it helped that I'm an only child. But there's always going to be quarrels. There's always going always to be situations. So what can we do? What can we do to prevent those events from happening in our home? What can we do to, to bring our family from the family we wish to be to the, from the family that we are to that family? I want to suggest one thing to you, at least the first one. We have to look at life the long term. Look at life in the long term. Right now, perhaps, like in the case of Joseph, there, was, there wasn't anything that he could do to fix it. In fact, he wasn't even on the right place to fix it. And even, even worse, his life just got worse. Because after that dinner, his brothers began to plot against him. The next story we know is that he is sold to a caravan of, of, of uh, uh, nomads, who, who, Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt as a slave. So his life immediately was not going to change. It was just going to get worse. Joseph had two options. Okay, there's nothing I can do. I give up. Or continue to trust that his dreams were coming from God and that there was going to be a time where he was going to be at the right place. As we know the story, as we read the story, we know that Joseph continued to be faithful to God. Until the time when he became second in command in the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And then he was able to not only help his family but mend his relationship with his brothers and help people around him. Why? Because Joseph looked at life at the long term. So, that is suggestion number one. Look at life at the long term. Because see, when we're parents and we have kids and we're pulling our hairs because nothing is going right and all we see is problems and alarms that don't work and roofs are collapsing and all kinds of things. Oh, no, that's what I do when I'm in the office. Sorry. Um, but, but, but that happens. That happens in our home. And, and, and things happen like that. And, and, and we feel like giving up. 
But you know what? This also shall pass. Kids will grow older. Today I felt like the most courageous man in the world. Jenny drove me to church. And I'm alive. That means, that means that these two shall pass. And I'm just waiting for the time when he pays his own insurance. But that's a different story. Your situation, as bad as it is right now, guess what? Shall pass. Look ahead at the big picture. Look ahead at what, what God can do in your family. Second advice, second suggestion. Be faithful regardless of the circumstance. Joseph got to Egypt. He doesn't know anybody. He doesn't have any contacts. He doesn't have family members. He doesn't know anybody. It was a moment when he came to a new school and sat at the table, at the lunch table, and nobody wanted to sit with him. He was weird. He was different. He had an accent. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> now, but Joseph... As he's working, he's doing well. God is blessing him. He becomes the first in the house where he started as a slave. Now he's in charge of everything. Except the wife. She didn't get the memo that she was not part of the deal. But Joseph says one thing. I cannot sin against my God. Who gave him the dreams? God. That's what he learned from his father. That's what he learned from his great-grandfather. Great that God is the one that gives dreams. And now he is in a situation where he could mess up everything just for a moment of pleasure. Yet, he remained faithful. He ended up in jail, but it was jail, the bridge that was built for him to get to the place where he needed to be to do what God wanted him to do. So regardless of the circumstance, remain faithful. Don't give up. Continue to trust in God's Word. Because at the end, at the end, and, and see, God, this is so cool, truly. And we mess up sometimes because we don't see, we forget that we have a great advantage over everyone else who does not read the Bible. We have a God that knows the end from the beginning. He already knows where we ought to be, our destiny. It's up to us to choose to get there. And the only way that we can get there, having a God that knows the end and our direction and how our decision should go, it is our mistake if we don't take advantage of that. So regardless of the situation, God has always got the answer. So remain faithful regardless of the circumstance. Because I don't know, but I think God is always right. And the third suggestion I have for you is this. Is this. Let God be part of your family. Let God be part of your family. It is amazing how in Joseph's family, God appears to be the center. God appears to be in the middle. But everyone at some point forget, forgot about God. And every time they did, that's when they got into trouble. But Joseph remained faithful. This is a long time ago. I don't know how old I was. Maybe four, maybe five, maybe six. 
all I know is that I had a bicycle. And my cousin Mario had a bicycle like mine. And one day, one Sunday morning, his parents, my aunt and uncle, came to my house one Sunday morning and said, can you let Rogelio come with us? In Mexico City, there is a place that has a track where they run, uh, where they race the, the, the Grand Prix of Mexico. And it's a track that is about three and a half miles long. It's five kilometers. So one Sunday morning, my parents allowed me to go with them to ride the bikes around as the older ones were running around the track as he was accustomed. Because my dad, playing baseball in those days, he had a game later on at that specific place. So I would go early with them to ride the bikes, and then my dad would pick me up at the time of his game. Uh, as we go through the day and we're riding the bikes, and, and one of those turns, we find my uncle and my aunt, and, and I guess they were tired, and they said, hey, can we use the bikes? So we gave them the bikes, and Mario and I were just walking, walking on the track, grabbing rocks and sticks, playing around like kids, and we're going in the same direction that everybody else is going. Apparently, we took way too long. When my dad arrives to the place, to the, to the front, the main gate of the track, he sees my uncle and my aunt, but he doesn't see us. So he asks the question, where are the boys? My aunt, or my uncle, I don't know, I wasn't there, but one of them said, they're somewhere along the track. I don't know if I told you, but I'm an only child. At least Mario has a brother and a sister. You know, they could. But, but me, I'm an only child. So my dad, wearing his baseball spikes, begins to run around the track looking for me. Finally, he catches up to us. But this is the thing. He ran basically the whole track because at the time when he found us, we were already almost at the gate. And then, without knowing, we feel his hands on our shoulders and he goes, I found you. Mario and I look at, our, at each other and we're saying, were we lost? We didn't know we were lost. But we knew, at least at that moment... That my dad didn't know we were lost. All he knew is that we were not where we had to be. And let me tell you something. Our Father in heaven knows that perhaps you are not where you ought to be today. And he's running, he's searching, he's looking, he's trying to find you where you are and talking and, and, and trying to, to make you focus on him so that he can walk with you to the end and bring you to where you ought to be, to where your family needs to be, to be the family that he wants you to be. So family, today my prayer is that we get focus on what truly matters. Things are important, but they're not matter because at the end of the day, they're just things. Technology passes. Every six months, there's new stuff. Stop chasing technology. You will never catch up. Money. 
My grandma used to say, the way comes, the way goes. Let's chase what truly matters. And everything begins with a relationship with God. Because He goes from the first to the fourth generation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, so grateful, Lord, that, that you still search for us, that you still look for us, that you still run in our direction, even though we sometimes don't even know that we're lost. But we do know now that you're in, in a constant search for us. Therefore, Father, we, we pray that you give us the ability to open our eyes and to look at the signs that you place before us so that we can find the right track. Help us, Lord, to focus on what truly matters, to see the big picture and to see that the moment is not greater than the lifetime. To see, Lord, that, 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 that an event is not greater than the purpose. So, Father, we pray today that your spirit comes to each one of us. So that we can change our story. Just like Joseph stopped the cycle of a fa family of liars. He became true. True to you. True to his brothers. True to his father. And he could receive his blessing one more time. So Father we pray that today we choose to stick by you. So that we can receive your blessing. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.